All right, all right. Y'all excited for summer kickoff? Anybody? Come on. How many of you just go ahead and admit you are a granola folk? You are a granola peep. All right. Just represent. It's okay. Be happy. Be proud of yourself. It's all right. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited about it next week, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun stuff. So bring some friends and just come have a good time as we launch into the summer because everyone loves summer. Anybody uh, just not doing anything this summer, you're just chilling out, just having a good time. Yes, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So it's going to be a good time. A lot of, uh, a lot of fun stuff going on. I want to give a quick shout out to the 60 individuals that showed up to go to the Gwinnett Braves game last Friday night. Uh, you guys are troopers, man. It was awesome. We had a tailgate out in the parking lot, and then it started pouring down rain, like crazy pour, and then we went to the game, and it was awesome. Did we win? I left seventh inning. Did we win? We lost. Yes. Go Gwinnett Braves. You guys are awesome. Um, but it was a good time hanging out with everybody. So we got a lot of fun stuff. I'm excited. The summer kickoff is next Thursday. We've been talking about it. And then uh, I wanted to give you guys a little bit of a uh, sneak peek into where we're going after that. We're going to start a brand new kind of collection of talks uh, in June about one of the, the most, probably one of the most talked about things when I talk to college students uh, one of the biggest subjects that we talk about, and I, and I think one of the most important things for you in our generation right now, on the subject of where, what am I called to do? The subject of calling. What has God called me to do? I just have so many conversations with people going, dude, I, I don't, what am I called to do? I mean, some people are fortunate. You, you just have a passion to do something with your life when you turn 13. Uh, but others, you know, others are 18, 20, 22, 25, 28, 37, whatever. And you're still going, dude, I don't really know. I mean, we talk about God has a plan and a purpose for my life, but I don't know what that plan is. Anybody there? Anybody know what I'm talking about? So uh, we're going to spend a few weeks talking on that subject because I think it's really important. And I haven't even quite yet decided how long of a series that is. At first, I was thinking like three weeks, and then I got into just thinking about it and studying it. And now I'm going, this may need to be a little bit longer, but I think it's going to be uh, revolutionary for our group. So I'm excited about that after the summer kickoff. That'll be good. All right. Hey, turn, turn to someone next to you and just say, hey, I'm, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for you. <laughs> Grateful, grateful. Hey, we've been in uh, this series talking for the past uh, two weeks, and tonight is the third week of The Blessed Life, and uh, talking around the subject of what does it mean to be blessed, and how do we know if we're living the blessed life, and we throw around this word all the time of, of, man, God is blessing me, or I am really blessed, but do we really know what that means? And so if, if you haven't been here the past couple of weeks, you can go online to iTunes, check out our podcast, you may want to catch up. Uh, but let me just kind of give you some big thoughts to catch you up. Uh, the first big thought that you got to know is this, uh, living blessed is a internal condition, not external circumstances. That's, a, that's a, a big foundational truth to the idea of what it means to be blessed. It's an internal condition, not an external circumstance. And so it's possible, in fact, it's very likely that God will choose to bless you with, with his presence and his character and, and many things about himself Throughout all situations, in fact, that's the key to, to walking in this faith with Jesus, is that in all situations, in all circumstances, I find myself blessed because I walk through it 
uh, with my God doesn't mean that, that uh, what I'm experiencing is necessarily blessed. It means that I can internally be blessed. And so uh, that's kind of a, a big thought, but that's where we've been going. And then last week we looked into the very first sentence of the Beatitudes. We looked in Matthew chapter 5, you guys remember, and the very first thing that is said is that blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And so we talked about what that means. And poor in spirit is, it means never leaving the sinner's prayer. It means that, that I realize every day when I wake up that I have nothing to bring to the spiritual table apart from the grace and mercy and love of Jesus. And so maturity is not leaving the sinner's prayer. Maturity is staying in the sinner's prayer. And uh, that's what it means to be poor in spirit. And you can always tell when someone thinks they've grown out of the sinner's prayer because they grow out of loving other sinners. And we talked about how as a group, and I think this is a big thought for us as a group, and I hope that it's true for us, that as a community, we want to be a refuge for the world, not a refuge from the world. Y'all remember me saying that? We want to be a place where the world runs to. And we're not closing our doors saying, everybody come in here and let's get away from the gross nastiness. We're opening our doors saying, hey, gross nastiness, come on in. That's, that's the people that we want to be because... Because God, God changes us, right? God revolutionizes who we are. So that's kind of what we talked about last week. When you have an accurate understanding of your need for God every day, you interact with others from a place of grace. And that's where we want to be in life. And so uh, this week we're going to continue on in that tonight for the next few minutes. And so if you got your Bibles, uh, we're going to be all over the place, but you may just want to put kind of your stamp on Matthew chapter 5. Don't actually stamp your Bible um, Unless it's yours, but if it's the church's, don't stamp it. It was a joke, guys. Ooh, tough crowd tonight. Okay. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5. I realize it wasn't that funny, but just help me out a little bit. Um, <laughs> Matthew chapter 5. Anybody love the Bible? That's good. It's a good thing. Let's just open up tonight reading uh, verse 3 through 10. That's kind of our, our core scripture. Uh, for the series, page 968. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. For they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I love that Jesus gives us actually what a blessed life looks like. If you want to know how you can be blessed, if you want to know what a blessed life looks like, you just read. Verse by verse, that's what it means to be blessed. So... We're going to pick out some stuff from that, but let me just pray for us real quick. I know we prayed quite a few times tonight, but uh, I love the honor of doing that as we get going, all right? God, thank you so much for uh, this group. Thank you for your word, and I ask that it would go forth and that it would not fall on dry soil. And God, would you change our hearts? Lord, we need a word from you tonight. We don't just need church, and so would you do that uh, in us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, how many of you uh, would, would call yourself a disciplined person? How many of you would say, just go ahead and brag on yourself real quick. That's good. You're pretty disciplined. When you, uh, when you set a goal, 
you know what it takes to get to that goal and you're after it, right? You want to lose weight. You know I got to wake up at 6 a.m. and do a couple burpees and whatnot, so I'm going to get after it. And you don't, you don't tail off. You're, you're right on it. That's a dis- I'm sure there's many other ways to define discipline, right? But you're a disciplined person. You know who you are. You know who you are. How many of you are disciplined uh, with your, your diet, your eating? Anybody, anybody on that train? Come on. It's okay. It's okay to brag about yourself. Discipline with your eating. I am, uh, I'm fairly awful at, uh, at, at the discipline of my eating. I want so bad. I want so bad to be good at it. I've, um, my whole, like, I'm into the exercise thing. I'm good with that. It's the eating part that I really suck at. And, um, and, and the older I'm getting, I'm learning that that's actually probably more important than the exercise part. And so, but I'm really bad at it. You guys know that if you've been around here for a little while. I've talked about my chocolate addiction and that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm just really bad at it, and I want. And the best that I've ever done, the best that I've ever done. Not that you care. But I'm gonna tell you, the best that I've ever done with my eating habits was a couple years ago here at 12. So I think they do it periodically. But a couple years ago, they did this thing in uh, in big church. Y'all still call it big church? That's a thing. Uh, they did this thing in big church where they were doing a Daniel fast, right? Thank you, Daniel. You're awful for doing this. But uh, you can read some books about how Daniel did this thing. And so we did it as a church. They were doing this Daniel fast. And so you had options. You could do a 30-day fast. You could do, uh, you know, 15, 10 days, 7 day, 3 day. Uh, I prefer the 24-hour thing. Uh, but this time, I was feeling extra spiritual in this season of my life. And so I said, I'm going to go for the 10-day Daniel fast. And so if you don't know what a Daniel fast is, it's basically... Remove everything from your diet and add some carrots in there, and you're good. That's, that's, a, that's a Daniel fast. <laughs> Not really. It's a couple other things, but that's really what it felt like. No sugar, no bread, uh, terrible things. And so I did this. I did this for 10 solid days, and I made it, by the way. I made it, and I didn't cheat. Uh, I did, thank you. Glad that you guys support me. It was a long time ago. But uh, I did it, and in 10 days, I lost 10 pounds. Y'all, and I was, I was like skinnier than I am now. Like I went from like 180 to 170, right? Lost 10 pounds. And the goal, you know, wasn't to lose weight. It was to worship God, thank you, and all this other stuff. Uh, but I lost 10 pounds in, in 10 days. It was ridiculous. But what I primarily remember from those 10 days was how ridiculously hungry I got. I mean, just crazy night cravings for food because I was eating like a rabbit for 10 days. And I just remember, like I, I would literally go to bed early at night so that I could avoid the awfulness of being hungry. Like if I could just get to sleep, I'll wake up in the morning and then I'm like, I'm closer to my end goal, you know? I would go to bed early just to, so I didn't have to deal with it at night. It was a terrible thing. I remember being so freaking hungry. Can I say that? Sorry. Um, that's on our podcast. Can we edit this? Probably not. Um, but I just remember being so hungry. Do you, do you remember when, do you remember the hungriest you've ever been? Like, have you ever been on a camping trip or something and ate granola for, for a few days? Do you remember the hungriest? Do this, do this for me. Uh, close your eyes, because I'm going somewhere with this. Close your eyes and think about the hungriest you've ever been. The hungriest you've ever been. Maybe it wasn't for a spiritual reason like mine, but the hungriest you've ever been. Is that feeling kind of coming back to you? It's awful, right? 
It's awful. You can open your eyes. I don't, I don't know of a better way to think about or to describe uh, one of the verses in this scripture when it says, blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. I don't quite know how to wrap my mind around what that means, except for thinking about when I'm actually physically hungry. And, and you know, I've grown up in America and always had food, and so I've never really known hunger except for the, that stupid fast thing that I did, and I just remember how hungry I was. And I feel like that's not a, it's not a great description of what it means to hunger for righteousness, but it's the only, like, context that I have to truly depict the, uh, the depth of what the verse is talking about. If you're looking for a, 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 another way to say hunger for righteousness, another way to say it is a desire to live aligned with God. A desire to live aligned with God is what it means to hunger for righteousness. And that's kind of uh, the verse that I want to really go after tonight is verse 6 and what we read. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But even desire doesn't feel like an adequate word to describe hunger, you know? It doesn't feel right, but I think it's just the best thing that we have, uh, a desire to live aligned with God. We're living in an uh, interesting Christian culture these days, and it's not your fault. You're just in it. I'm in it. Um, we, like, 30 years ago and 40 years ago, whatever, you can trace it back, history, but let's say 30 years ago, the church and Christianity was really kind of, uh, like, warping around truth, hardcore truth, and it was heavy truth, very little grace, heavy truth, not a lot of love for those who maybe didn't understand truth, and we were heavy truth, and as a result, we got legalism. Right, so some of your parents maybe grew up in a very legalistic home, and maybe you even as a result have grown up in that. But that was uh, as a result of just heavy, heavy truth, very little grace. That was the culture that was created in Christianity. Now the pendulum has swung, and as a reaction to how things used to be, now we're kind of living in a Christian culture that I would say is, is a little bit the opposite. We're really heavy in Christian culture right now on very heavy grace, very heavy grace and love, and not, a, not heavy truth, very little truth. And, and I, that's not a, you can't make that a blanket statement about every Christian. Please don't do that. But that's kind of where Christian culture has swung to. And I, and I think it's very important that we find some middle ground. And, it, and for you as an individual, as a Christian, you've got to learn where the middle is. And you've got to learn, and, and um, there's a statement out there that I think is, is true. Uh, it's the statement of what it means to really follow Jesus is to love God and love people. That's really at the core of what it means to follow Jesus is to love God and love people, very simply. And I think that's a true statement, but there's a lot underneath that. If you're a follower of Jesus and you read the scriptures, there's a lot underneath it, kind of like subcategories. And if you're hungry for righteousness... You've got to go after what are those other things underneath that? Like, what, like, if Christianity and following Jesus at its core is to love God and love people, well, then how do I, like, how do, I do that? Because Jesus lays out in the scriptures 
other things. He gives us other principles, other truths, other things like how to be generous with your money, your time, your energy, all that kind of stuff. Generous. He gives lots of forgiving others, right? Anger. He talks about lots of other things, not just love God, love people. And so there's kind of, if you want to hunger for righteousness, we've got to know all the stuff underneath it. And so uh, tonight I want to give you a, uh, a few things that you're going to need if you're going to hunger for righteousness. If we're going to hunger for righteousness, and, and here's, if we, if we really desire to live a life that is aligned with God, if that is our desire to live a life that is aligned with God and who he says he is and what he has laid out as a life for those who follow him, if that's our desire, then you're going to need a few things. And I want to give those to you. But before I do that, I want to uh, make sure that you know what it means to hunger for righteousness. And it may be worth writing down if you're taking notes. No one but Jesus perfectly achieves righteousness. But you can hunger for it. That's important for you to know. No one achieves perfect righteousness but Jesus. That's the great news of walking with him is that he is righteous. And when you put your faith in him, you receive his righteousness. So no one is perfect except for Jesus. But you can hunger for it. In fact, blessed are those who hunger for it. You with me? All right, so let's get into this. I want to give you three things that you will need if you're going to hunger for righteousness. Number one is this. You will need a surrender of your will. I need a surrender of my will. <laughs> Seems like a, a very heavy thing to say, and it is. Um, you've, you've lived long enough, probably, if you're in this room, you've lived long enough to know that uh, much of how Jesus has called us to live uh, can sometimes seem to be impossible. It seems very irrational. Love your enemies. No thank you. Forgive those who have hurt you. No thanks. Uh, you know, save your, your sexuality for marriage. No thank you. It seems very crazy. It seems almost impossible. And the reason is, is because there's something inside of you that is raging against that. And it's your flesh. It's your sin nature raging against how God's called you to live. It wants to do the opposite. You give your life to Jesus and you say something, or maybe you said something like this, or maybe you've heard it in church, of, Jesus, I want you to be Lord and Savior of my life. Anybody heard that? You make him Lord and Savior of your life. What I've found is that making him Savior is very easy and very awesome because he saves me. Making him Lord is a lot harder because now I've said, okay, so what you say goes, and now you dictate my life, not me. Like, he's, he's Lord of your life. That's a very, very heavy thing to say. Jesus did this perfectly on his way to the cross. He's about to be crucified. He's brutally murdered for all people, and he knows what's coming. And he, and he says this. He, he prays to his Father in heaven, and he says, God, if there's any way you can take this away from me, if there's any other way to do this, that would be awesome. That's my version. That would be awesome. But, you know what comes next, right? But not my will, 
but your will be done. He modeled this perfectly for us. That this is not what I want to do. Forgive other people, no thanks. Uh, be generous, no thanks. Serve other people, love my enemies, no thanks. All these things that, that God has laid out in his word seem very opposite of my flesh. But ultimately, not my will, but your will. And when you make him Lord of your life, you surrender your will now becomes what is his will? What is his will? But the reason this is often so difficult is because if our will isn't surrendered to God's will, then it is surrendered to my emotion. If my will isn't surrendered to God's will, then it's surrendered to my emotions. And you'll be led by your emotions. Ultimately, how you feel like you should live life is determined by how you feel. It's determined by your emotions in life. Uh, last year, our pastor, uh, Kevin Myers, over the big church, <laughs> uh, our pastor, Kevin Myers, was talking about this. And, and it just grabbed me, gripped me, and I've never been able to get over it. He, was, he used the example of talking to his youngest son, uh, his 12-year-old son, and he was explaining to him the difference between a boy and a man. And he used the example of a train. And he, and he said, the front of the train, uh, the engine, anyways, I got the video. Instead of just saying it, I'm just going to show it to you because uh, he says it a lot better than me. And so I want you to say, it's just a two-minute clip, uh, but I want you to watch it. Go ahead. See, the engine does the pulling, and the caboose gets pulled. And I said, son, let me tell you the difference between a man and a boy. Because everybody in this world has to navigate the tension of your will and the tension of your emotions. And your will is what you choose to do. And your emotions are what you feel. And we had a longer conversation, but he understood it. In fact, he could define all this for me. And, and by the way, your will leans into achievement and your emotions lean into entertainment. And I said, let me tell you the mark of a boy. A boy will make the engine, his emotions, the engine. He will let his emotions drive him. He will let his emotions pull his will along. A boy puts his will behind him. And you can apply this to child to girl. You get the point. But it's a conversation I had with him. A boy puts his, his will at the caboose. And so his emotions, what he feels like doing, makes all his decisions. It's the mark of a child. It's how you know you're a child. Because you don't, you don't follow well. <laughs> you don't make tough decisions. Your emotions take control. But can I tell you something, son? If you're going to become a man, here's what separates you out. You're going to become a man... What a man does is a man sets his will as to what drives his life and he makes choices regardless how he feels and his emotions follow and they eventually catch up and that's the only way you can have the life you long for. And I can tell you this, son, if your emotions make your decisions, then entertainment will overwhelm achievement and your life will be a disappointment. Now, I know he's not going to win this on his own because I'm in my 50s and I still need the strength of God for the self-control to put the right thing at the engine. And so you want to put your will first and let your emotions follow. And, and your will is surrendered to God's will. Your will is, God, what, what you say goes, what you want goes. If you want to hunger for righteousness, you've got to ultimately surrender 
your will. Second thing you need, if you want to hunger for righteousness, is this. A desire for correction. Come on, turn to somebody and say, you need a desire for correction. (laughs) If you desire righteousness, you better be okay with correction. We all hate being corrected, don't we? If you got any, any pride in you at all, you probably hate uh, being corrected. I get so angry. I, I feel like I, um, my problem in my marriage, it's really all my problem. Honestly, my wife is the best, but it's, it's all my fault if we have any problems. But uh, my problem in marriage and really in life is I just think I'm right a lot. I feel like I'm always right. You ever thought about this? Why else would you have that thought? If you didn't think it was right. Like if you ever had something that you thought was wrong and you still believed, like of course I think I'm right or else I would, I would change my thought in order to be right, you know. I always feel like I'm right. But I hate being corrected. Have you ever uh, been in like an argument with someone or a debate with someone and halfway through you realize they were right and you were wrong? And you try, you try and get out of it. You're like, you know what, this is just this is stupid. We just shouldn't be, we just shouldn't even be talking. This is bad. Jesus Jesus doesn't like debate. What? He never said that. Yeah, he did. It's in Leviticus somewhere. No one reads it. It's fine. It's in there. And you just try and bail as fast as you can. No one likes being corrected. We all like to be right. I love uh, the scripture in Psalm chapter 23. One of my favorite passages of scripture, Psalm 23, says this. says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. And then listen to this. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now listen. Your rod and your staff comfort. Do you know what a rod and a staff, like, like, it's, it's the long rod, and then at the end is a hook. It's a hook type thing. I don't have one. I'm not a shepherd. Uh, but it's a rod, and, and then it's a hook at the end. And the shepherd would, would, as the sheep is going in the wrong direction, the shepherd would hook the sheep with the hook around the neck and pull it in the right direction. Or it would flip the rod staff around, and it would hit the sheep on the back of the leg with the staff. Just not, not hurt it too bad, but just, hey, kind of discipline, you know? That's, that's, how, that's how they knew the rod and the staff to be used. And yet it says that the rod and the staff, they comfort me. How can God lead you to quiet waters if he doesn't correct you when you're going to dangerous waters? How can God lead you to green pastures if he doesn't correct you when you're going to dead pastures? See, God's comfort often is preceded by his correction. So don't resist God's correction. Welcome it. It's a good thing. So I know in life, we don't like correction. We don't like to be corrected. But we have to actually pursue correction from God in our walk with him. We, I, I want to be corrected. I need to be corrected. Because it's his comfort that's found when I am corrected. I need to be corrected. The reason many of us resist this, you got to hear this. The reason many of us resist this, though, is that most of the sins 
that you struggled with before you got saved that were destroying your life, you have probably conquered. If you've been saved a while, if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you can look back and say, the things that were destroying my life before I got saved, I now don't face them. They're not, they're not my struggle anymore. It's not my sin anymore. What's left is the sin that you actually enjoy. The sins that were destroying you, you've probably defeated. What's left is the sin that you actually enjoy. And those are the hardest things to ask God to correct. I don't want correction from that. No, I'm good. I'm good. And this is the danger for, for many of us. If you've been walking with Jesus for any amount of time, the danger is the things that were destroying you, you're good with now. It's the things that you actually enjoy, that you like, that are feel-good type things that you don't want to get rid of that are now the things in your life. And what if God wants to press his finger on those things and say, nope, that's what I want to press into. That's what I want to correct. The unforgiveness in your heart. The bitterness that you've let control you. That attitude you've been carrying around. That need for attention. The thing that you're just now okay with, but God's not okay with. God's not okay with it. Those are the things that God wants to correct. I was reminded of this verse in, in John chapter 3. You can just write it down. You know, we have the famous passage of Scripture in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Whosoever believed in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. Hallelujah. And then a few verses later is this incredible Scripture in verse 19, it says this. It says, this is the verdict, that light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. You hear that? Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. The light exposes our weakness. The light exposes our shortcomings. The light exposes where we've messed up. It exposes the thing that I cannot defeat. It exposes that thing that just keeps popping up and I just I can't get away from it. It exposes it. And the closer you get to God, the more the light shines on you. And most people don't get close to God not because they don't like the light but because they don't like the light revealing their weaknesses. And we don't stop chasing God because of God. Usually we stop chasing God because he starts revealing the things in us that I don't want to get rid of. And when I get close to him, he starts pointing those things out. And it gets a little bit harder, doesn't it? And it gets a little bit more ugh, sticky. And this is what, I, you know, no one goes into the presence of God and comes out more aware of someone else's sin. You go into the presence of God and come out way more aware of where I've I missed the mark, of my shortcomings, of my weaknesses. And that's what's so scary. 
And that's why I think many college students want nothing to do with God. Not because of the message of Jesus or not because of that, but because when they get close or when they actually start to experience him, it begins to point out where they've messed. It begins to point out the darkness in their life, the, the holes in their life, the weaknesses in their life. And that's where things get real icky and real hard to press into. And most people don't want to go there. Just let me get away from that because I don't even want to have to deal with that part of me. I'd rather just run as fast as I can and get away from that. And I'd rather just claim that I don't believe in God than even get close to that. The light is what reveals. But how many of you know that the light isn't there to turn you away? It's there to invite you in because it's when you realize your weakness that his strength is made perfect. It's when you realize your weakness that all of a sudden I realize what he has to offer is so beautiful. There's the verse in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll read it to you. It says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Someone needs to hear that tonight. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. This is Paul talking. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight toward running toward the light. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I love running toward the light because it reveals my weaknesses and therefore my greater need for his strength. If his strength overcomes my weaknesses, if his strength, if his righteousness is what covers my unrighteousness, then the light is what I got to run to, not run away from. The light reveals it. But it's not revealing it so that I run. It's an invitation for me to run closer. Because where I am weak, he is strong. Does this make sense to anybody? You still tracking? Where I am weak, he is strong. So if you want to hunger for righteousness, you got to be okay with correction. you got to be okay with correction. It's not a bad thing. It's, it's a good thing. I need to be corrected. I need to be corrected. Last thing, last thing. you want to hunger for righteousness, you will need a fight against shame. You'll need a fight against shame. The reason why, uh, the reason why many people struggle with anorexia is because they were shamed about being fat. Or that somehow they've experienced, maybe not them, they have a, a shame perspective about being overweight and so the reaction is to be anorexic. And the reason why many people run, or the, many, the reason why many people are anorexic in their faith is because they have a shame about how one time they used to be hungry, but then they failed. And so instead of experience that again, where I just fall and fail, I'll just stay anorexic and I won't even run toward faith at all. And if you're going to have a hunger for righteousness, you got to you got to go. You know what? I may fail, and I am going to realize my weaknesses, and I am going to realize where I come short, and I am going to realize where I fail. But it's his strength that's made perfect in my weakness. So you're going to have to fight shame. Shame is not from God. Not at all. It is not. 
Will you fight the shame? I want to leave you with this kind of final thought. And, band, you guys can go ahead and come back up as we wrap up. But I want to put it on the screen because I think it's, it's kind of the, the crux of what we've talked about tonight that you, that you need to know. As you hunger for righteousness, you will recognize where you fall short. But the light wasn't meant to bring you shame. It was meant to bring you rejoicing that his perfection covers your shame. As you hunger to align yourself with God, as you desire to align yourself from God, you will recognize where you missed the mark because the light shines on you when you get close to God. But the light wasn't meant to shame you. The light was meant to invite you in, to bring you rejoicing that his perfection covers your shame. God does, you need to know this, God doesn't desire your perfection. He desires your hunger. God doesn't desire your perfection. He desires your hunger. And uh, you need, as, a, as a young person going through this life and, you're, and, and you don't know, you likely don't know where you're going and, and what you're doing. Maybe many of you do, and that's great. But for some of you, you don't know what's going on. You don't know what you're going to do with your life. And if you're going to get this degree or that degree or where you're going to end up, you're going to end up in Georgia or whatever. And I know the temptation is for us to get it all in line and, and get it all figured out. And then we got our spiritual life, and i got to have all that perfect as well, just like my grades and everything else. i got to have it all in line. And you just need to know that God doesn't desire perfection. He desires your hunger. You can't be perfect in this walk with Jesus. You can't be. But it is your responsibility to hunger after him. And you can hunger. And God is as close as you want him to be. He is as near as you are. And if you will pursue him and run to him and hunger for him, he's there. He hasn't run from you. He's there. And so I think the question is, are you hungering for right? Are you hungering for your life to align with God? Is that your desire? If it is, you'll need to submit your will. You'll need to be okay with correction. And you'll need to fight shame. Ultimately, God, not my will, but your will be done. Ultimately, God, correct me when I'm wrong. I'm okay with a little hit on my leg. <laughs> correct me where I'm wrong. Ultimately, God, I'm going to fight the shame. Because ultimately, it's your righteousness that covers me. And so I just want to ask you, where is God pressing his finger into? Where, where is he pointing at? Some of you are fighting against surrendering your will. And I just want you to know that you may miss the blessing. Scriptures say that blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. And if you're fighting against surrendering your will, you may miss the blessing. Some of you are resistant to correction, and you may miss the blessing. Some of you are covered in shame, and you may miss the blessing. So where is God trying to just put his finger on you and say, this is... This is what I'm trying to press into. This is what I want to press into in this season. Where is it that the Holy Spirit wants to move, and would you let him do it? 